Father, you are wonderful. You are gracious, merciful, loving, kind. And you loved us so much you sent your one and only Son, wonderful Savior, Jesus, to come and die for our sins. And he did. And he rose from the dead. And we are so thankful. We are so thankful for who you are and what you've done through your Son, Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are a righteous and holy God and a just God, and yet you are gracious too. Father, as we look into your word now, prepare our hearts that we might understand what you intended and that we might be changed, that you might work in our hearts to help us to be wholeheartedly devoted to you, focused on you, that you would be glorified. We thank you for this time and pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. We live in a culture that seems to think that things are just getting better and better as technology increases and humanity grows wiser. And within, their, within this culture, there's basically the belief that we are basically good. That's what the culture believes. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, you know, and if you're not disobedient to his word, you know that we are not good within ourselves, that there's nothing good within ourselves, but that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous and we are then enabled to trust and abide in him and his goodness is manifest in us. Now, if you've studied history, there was uh, great optimism in the uh, early 20th century concerning human ability. Worldly speaking, before World War I, yet we had the intense carnage of that First World War, and it burst the bubble for a time. And yet we see as the last century advanced, we saw more and more wickedness, more and more carnage, uh, and it outpaced any other century we have ever had concerning uh, wickedness, evil, and death. Whether it's Hitler or Stalin or Mao or Pol Pot, the last century was the bloodiest uh, ever the earth has ever seen. Things are not getting better. Uh, we see wickedness even around our own culture increasing. We see uh, the, the wickedness every day, in and out. We have our 24-7 news reports of all the evil that is going on all the time. We see it. All evil all the time. It's really sad. And yet, we wonder, what is God doing about it? What is God doing about the wickedness and evil in this world? Well, we're going to see that Scripture reveals that God is patient, unwilling for any to perish. But the day of the Lord will come. God will, in, Christ will come and judge sinners. And when he comes and judges sinners, if you are not in Christ, you are going to be eternally ruined in hell. The reality is God is a gracious God, but the day will come. Now, we've been going through the book of First Peter, and we've seen that there are false teachers that want to divert the church, want to have us thinking about other things than what God has declared in his word, to get focused on ourselves and our own lives, all the issues that have to do with us or other people, rather than focusing on Christ and the eternal things. We're going to see that false teachers want us to set our minds really on the things below rather than the things above. 
claiming to bring forth God's word as though they are fountains pouring forth his truth, yet nothing is there. Ultimately pointing you to yourself and your own emotions and desires and focus. So with that in mind, how are we believers to avoid these false teachers and how are we to live in light of the coming of Jesus Christ again in glory? Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're rapidly coming to a conclusion in this book and so be praying about the next book we go through. Another Sunday or two and we'll be done with this, Lord willing. Tremendous, wonderful portion. The context, as we've seen so far, is Peter is writing believers, those who have the same faith as the apostles. And if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have the same faith as the apostles did. Faith in Jesus Christ that brought about the forgiveness of sins. And in in chapter 1, we see the theme of the book, really, and then throughout, that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that God has given believers everything pertaining to that. Everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. For by his precious and magnificent promises, he's given us his word, we are able to escape the corruption of the world that is by lust. The tremendous reality that God has given us what we need for our relationship with Jesus as we transition as temporary residents on this earth. And we saw that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, <coughs> excuse me, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that there should be things happening in your life. You should be trusting the Lord and walking in Him, and His Word should be working out in your life. And Peter gave the qualities of those who are neither useless or unfruitful. You see, we can be useless and unfruitful in our relationship with Jesus, and there are a lot of believers that are that way. But if, as we saw in chapter 1, we are growing in moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, if these things are ours, we possess them because we're trusting in Christ. And they are increasing. We are neither useless or unfruitful in that relationship with Jesus Christ. And then towards the end of the chapter, after Peter reminds them and says it's right to remind them of these things, he gives an example of an experience that he had on the mountain. But we have the prophetic word made more sure. We have the written word of God, which we do well to pay heed to. He makes it clear that it's the written word of God. It didn't come from man, that no prophecy of scriptures of one's own interpretation, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. And then moving from chapter 1, everything we need that we need to do well to heed, we do well to heed. He moves into the threats to our relationship with Jesus. That's what chapters 2 and 3 are about. The threats to our relationship with Jesus. And we saw in chapter 2 that bad guys will come. They will come among you, just as they did back in the Old Testament among the people. They're going to come, and they're going to use words, and they're going to mold and fashion. They're going to twist things. They're going to deceive. They're going to lure. They're going to do all these things. You can read all that ugly stuff in chapter 2 which shows where their hearts are at, wicked, greedy hearts, yet pretending to follow the Lord, pretending to follow the Lord. Wicked men and women who are apostates, who knew the truth concerning salvation in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but turned away from it internally to their own wicked lusts and greed and are now using the truths of God for their benefit to entrap believers, to derail them on their walks. Chapter 2 reveals what's going on in their hearts, but also reveals how we can spot them. I've mentioned it earlier, but they are they are springs without water, these bad guys. 
They pretend as though you're going to be absolutely fulfilled. You get the word of God, but when it's all said and done, there's no water. There's no water. They mold their words. They, 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 and then as we see in chapter 3, they mock the word of God. And as we've moved into chapter 3, we have really a real-time example and their time of what these guys look like. So with that in mind, um, let's turn our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I want to uh, read up through our passage from what we saw last week and then read a little bit past it so we can gain the whole context. Because again, chapter 3 is one whole unit together. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know, or literally knowing this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. These are the same guys you see in chapter 2, by the way. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Then our passage. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and that the earth and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at one time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. And that's as far as we're going to get today, but it really does continue and let me continue. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Tremendous passage. And this passage is very convicting to me as I was studying it that we can get so sidetracked into the issues of this life, the people, situations, whatever it might be, and our eyes be pulled off of the reality of what God has said is going to happen. Now again, like I shared, chapter 2 and then chapter 3 is really one big unit. So we're going to be basically artificially stopping today and looking at verses 5 through 10. So with that in mind, as temporary residents on this earth, those in which this world is not our home, in which we're being tempted to see it that way through bad guys, wanting to get you focused on this life rather than what the Lord has revealed in eternity and in heaven. How are we to avoid these bad guys? And how are we to stay focused on the reality of our Lord and Savior who will come again? 
Well, we saw last week, and I just want to briefly review in verses 1 to 4, that we need to remember God's word. We need to remember what he spoke through the, through the apostles and through the prophets. We need to remember what he spoke concerning what would come and what would happen. But we saw again, verse 1, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. I'm stirring you up, your mind, that you would remember something, that you would remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Remember the word of God, what God said through his prophets, what God said through his apostles, what the Lord and Savior said through it. And we were wondering, well, what is it that he said? What was the, what was the word that he brought forth? Well, certainly it, it could be anything from the Old Testament or what was brought forth by the apostles. But I think more specifically in the context, it's relating to the warnings concerning those who would come in and pull your hearts and minds away from the Lord. Look at verse 3. Knowing, or literally, the, the, the word isn't know, but literally knowing. It doesn't stand on its own. We saw that last week. It's a participle. Knowing something. Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Remember what God warned you about through his prophets and apostles because it's going to come. You know they're going to come. Mockers will come in the last days. And they're going to mock the truth of God. And here a very specific truth that is extremely important. They're going to mock and they're going to disregard. You see, he says here they'll come in the last days. We know we are in the last days right now. We know that there's nothing left prophetically to happen on God's clock except for God to take his church away and then bring forth the tribulation and the day of the Lord, as we see in Scripture. As Peter would say in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand or has come about. We are in the last days. But why hasn't Jesus come? Well, the mockers are mocking, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Everything stays the same. By the way, bad guys, false teachers, those who are not of the Lord, will point you to what you can observe, what you feel, rather than what God says. Look around. It's all the same. It hasn't changed. But they miss something, as we're going to see in a minute. They miss the truth of God, that by God's word he brought about creation, that by God's word he brought about the flood judgment, and that by God's word Christ will come, because he's faithful. So they're mocking the word of God. They're mocking God. And we see what they're saying. Where is the promise of his coming? Just like the Old Testament false prophets. Peace and safety. Everything is fine. God is not upset with you, Israel. Well, God was upset. He was telling them to repent through his prophets. They weren't listening. They weren't listening. There are those who ultimately are saying this to say, basically, there's no judgment there's no coming judgment. We see this infiltrating the church where evil men turn, and women turn vulnerable or, or lure vulnerable, unstable souls who are tossed to and fro to focus on the things of this life rather than eternal realities. And we are tempted to do that too. There are issues that happen in our lives. We get focused on those things rather than the truth of God 
that is revealed in the Word of God. So then we saw last week, first of all, we must remember God's Word concerning the coming danger. Watching out for those in the church who will divert your focus on this life by mocking, lessening, omitting, or twisting the Word of God concerning the coming and thus destruction of this physical universe and God's judgment on sinners. The ultimate goal to get you to ignore the reality of what God is going to do. Don't fall for the lies of the false teachers that try to divert you to focus on your issues this life, to live your life this way, whatever it might be. Purpose-driven, whatever it might be, to focus you on this life and to say it's all about Jesus, but really it isn't. It's about you. So how are believers to live in light of the return of Christ? How can we avoid this spiritual danger? First of all, we need to be reminded from the Word of God. And then now let's take a look at our passage Once we're reminded, we mustn't forget the truth of God. We must not forget it. You see, forgetting is a bad thing. Some of you know I used to be a corporate pilot. I'm a pilot now. If there are things that you forget, you die. Some things are very important. And we mustn't forget some things, spiritually speaking. Look at our passage, verse 5. And actually, I want to show you before. I want to show you some of the structure of what we're seeing here. So again, look at verse 5. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. And then look at verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice. It's kind of a little structure here. When they say these false things, it escapes their notice. We're going to see willingly. And then he says, but don't let this escape your notice. And that's the command. The command is to not forget, to not let it escape our understanding The bad guys do that willingly for their own gain, following their own lusts. But you, believers, don't do it. Don't let it escape your notice. So with that in mind, let's take a look at verse 5. For when they, that's the bad guys, maintain this, and what is it? Uh, Where's the promise of his coming? Forever since everything's gone the same. That's what they're saying, right? When the bad guys maintain this, it escapes There notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Through which the world at one time was destroyed, being flooded with water. For when these bad guys maintain their falsehoods, where is the promise coming? Ever since the creation has been here, the fathers have died, everything's the same. When they maintain this, It escapes their notice. Now, what's interesting is I usually prefer the NASB, but here I think they have uh, not gone far enough in their translation because there's a word that they actually don't translate here. It's the Greek word "thelo," which means willfully, willfully. Other versions actually put that in there. The New King James does. (coughs) New King James says, for this they willfully forget. For when they maintain this, it willfully escapes their notice. They are doing it on purpose. They are doing it on purpose. They knew about creation. They knew about the flood. They knew it came about by God's word. But these apostates reject God and seek their own self-gratification, following after their own lusts. So they willfully ignore the truth of God. 
they willfully ignore it. Now, again, the pattern is they do it, but don't you do it. Don't you do it. They do it, but don't you do it. So what's Peter's point? In the beginning, notice he says here that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So what's his point? That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. By his powerful word, God said, and it was, light be and light was. God spoke the universe into existence. And then notice, we see not only by his powerful word does the creation exist, but verse 6, through which, and, and actually, notice he gives us a little interesting portion about creation back in verse 5, at the end, that the earth was formed out of water and by water. Now, I'm not a scientist, but that's pretty interesting. The earth was formed out of water and by water. I'm not sure totally what that means, but it's pretty cool, isn't it? We get a little insight into how God spoke the creation into existence. And then in verse 6, he says, Through which, speaking of water, the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water. You may or may not know the true story back in Genesis 6. We see that God was finally fed up with the wickedness of man on the earth and that every intent of his heart was completely evil and that he was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart and said he would blot out man. Yet Noah found favor or grace, Genesis 6. So God was patient and commanded Noah to build an ark. And over 120 years, he did so obediently. And then the flood judgment came upon the earth, and everyone other than Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives perished in the flood waters. But these eight persons were saved. You see, God hates sin, and he will judge sin, and he has already demonstrated that already. Indeed, mankind, Luke 17, 27, was eating and drinking and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all, Jesus says, Luke 17, 27. We know back in chapter 2 of, of Second Peter, we have the statement in verse 5 that he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood, a flood upon the world of the ungodly so god brought about his creation by his word at one time at one time and he also brought by his word a worldwide flood judgment and these mockers willfully ignore that truth they willfully ignore that the world was created by the word of god and that it was flooded in the past by the same, by the word of God, God declared and he brought forth what he said he would do. And they are following their own lusts, trying to deceive people to live for the day rather than in light of eternity in which God has revealed and promised. So then the bad guys are saying, where is the promise of his coming, i.e. in judgment, as we're going to see? It hasn't happened. Everything's okay. God's okay with you. You can just live your life. God is okay. But God is not okay with sin and sinners, as we're going to see. Notice we have a, quite a different reality than what the bad guys say in verse 7. But, but the present heavens and earth, by his word, notice that, by his word, are being reserved for fire, 
kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Here, in contrast to the mockers, the false teachers who imply that Christ isn't going to come in judgment, everything's continuing the same. In contrast to that, but the present heavens and earth... Now, we're going to see there's a present heavens and earth, and that's where we are right now, the present earth. But there's going to be a new heavens and earth. The present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire. By his word, God has declared something. The world is on its way to being destroyed. That's what God says. The term reserved is an interesting term. And, and that destruction, by the way, is associated with the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. See that? The present heavens and earth are going to be destroyed by fire, or reserved for fire, and that is associated with, look at the end, kept for the day of judgment, verse 7, and destruction of ungodly men. It's associated together. The destruction and judgment of man is associated with the destruction of this present heavens and earth, as we're going to see. And notice this term reserved is kind of an interesting term. The present heavens and earth, by his word, are being reserved for fire. It's the same term that's used often in other places, storing up or laying up treasure. That The word came to speak of someone who would grab their coins and stack them up. Stack them up. You see? Storing up their treasure. Well, this present heavens and earth are being stored up in the sense, as we'll see, of judgment for fire. It is just moving towards that point in which God is going to Bring forth judgment. God does not miss a beat. He's going to do what he says. The earth is increasingly being stored up for fire. God's wrath is piling on. So here we have two things reserved for fire. The environment in which sin has perpetrated or polluted, i.e. the heaven and the earth, we'll talk about that in a minute, and then sinners themselves, ungodly men and women. You say, wait a second, I realize the earth is messed up and sin has corrupted the earth. There's a fall, a curse, and sinful man. I know that's the case. But how can heaven be messed up with sin? We know the truth that God's will is accomplished perfectly in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But yet we have the fall of, of the angels. We have Satan and his demons who have access under God's sovereignty, to come in and out of heaven. They'll be kicked out, Revelation chapter 12, but they have access. Even the present heavens are tainted by sin in that sense. We're going to see that God is going to make a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to make one where righteousness alone dwells. We'll see that later on. Verse 7, But the present heavens and earth are being by his word, are being reserved or stored up for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now I want to move down a little bit in our passage and look at verse 10 because that helps us see what he's talking about here. Look down at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. This is the same thing, and we're going to see that it is the same thing in context. The heavens are going to pass away with a roaring noise. And then he also says the elements, that's the stoichia, the, the ABCs, the building blocks of this, of this universe, 
the stoichia are going to be destroyed. Now, this word destroyed is actually luo. It speaks of being loosened. The building blocks of this universe are going to be loosened apart, destroyed. He says here, with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Looks like heavens and earth are going to pass away, doesn't it? That's what Jesus said, right? The heavens and earth uh, will pass away, but my word will not pass away, right? He said that, right? This present heavens and earth is going to go. It's going to go, and we should not live for it. It's very convicting, as we're going to see. We shouldn't live for this life. We shouldn't get caught up in the minor issues between people, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be, the issues in our lives, the trials, those things, we need to turn and focus on the eternal things, as we're going to see. The heavens are going to pass away. The elements are going to be loosened or destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. Then look at verse 11. We won't see this this week, but we're going to see it next week. Since all these things are to be loosed or destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Since God has a big problem with sin, and he's going to destroy the current sin tainted in heavens and earth and judge the ungodly, destroying them, what kind of people should we be as believers? Look, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, verse 12, and the elements will melt with intense heat. There will be a time associated with the day of the Lord when Christ comes to judge sinners that this world will be destroyed, that the heavens will be destroyed, this current present. Back to our verse 7. But the present... Heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And let me give you just a real brief summary of the timeline of events, the way I believe scripture reveals. The next thing to happen on God's prophetic clock is to remove his church unto himself. We call that the rapture. John 14 is very clear about that. So is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. And then we have Daniel's 70th week, seven years. This is Daniel chapter 9, in which God will turn his attention back primarily to the Jews. And within that, it's tribulation. It'll be called the tribulation. In the middle of that tribulation, we have the great tribulation. And then we see that Matthew 24. And then at the end of the tribulation, Christ will come in glory, defeating his enemies, Matthew 24, Revelation 9, and many other passages. Then we see he will reign for a thousand years on earth as Satan is bound. Satan will be released for a short time. The nations will be deceived. They will come up against the Lord and his camp at the camp of the saints, and they will be devoured from heaven. The bad guys, fire will devour them. It's at this point, I believe that's when this current heavens and earth are destroyed. That's when it's destroyed. Destroyed by fire. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Turn to Revelation 20. We see after this thousand-year reign, this is the next event in Revelation 20, verse 11. And I believe it is an allusion to this, what we're seeing in our passage. I believe it is an allusion to this. Revelation 20, verse 11. Now, this is after the thousand-year reign. This is after Satan is released for a moment, and and then he is thrown into the lake of fire, right? Look at verse 11. And I saw a great white throne... And him who sat upon it, whose presence, look at this, 
earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. It's an allusion to it's gone. Heavens and earth are gone because after this judgment here, the very next thing we say in chapter 21 is a new heavens and a new earth. Chapter 21. You see, God's going to get rid of this heavens and earth. He's going to judge non-believers, those who have rejected Christ. They're going to be thrown into hell. And then, and then, there is a new heavens and new earth. God's going to take care of sin and the environment that is tainted by sin and bring about a place where where only righteousness dwells. And that's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're looking forward to. There is a judgment day back in our passage in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3, verse 7. But this present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. There's a day. There is a judgment day. There is a judgment day. We saw pictures of that, the coming judgment back in chapter 2, the flood judgment, the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, where he made an example for those who would live ungodly thereafter, Second. Peter 2.6. The writer of Hebrews says, It is appointed man once to die, not two, three times, once to die, and then the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. Then take a look in the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. You're probably saying, I was really hoping for an uplifting sermon today, Right? Well, the reality is I think it will be once we see what God is doing and where our heart should be and what Christ has done for us. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus is talking to those who he is sending out, those disciples. He's sending them out and he's giving them instructions. And within that, he relays some truth. Matthew 10, 14. And whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house... Or that city, shake off the dust off your feet. There's some principles there for evangelism, right? Um, Truly I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. There's a day of judgment. Go a little farther up to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 21. Woe to you, Corazon, and woe to you, Bethsaida, For if the miracles, this is Jesus speaking, occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have what? Repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? Hey, you think you're going to heaven, right? Well, you shall descend into Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which had occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. There's a judgment day for non-believers, by the way. There is the Bema Seat of Christ for believers, where we are judged for our deeds in the body, whether good or bad, but not for sin. But there is a judgment day for sinners. Look up a little farther, Matthew chapter 12. Lord Jesus spoke a lot about this. Lord Jesus spoke a lot about it. Because he loves us and he's gracious. He's unwilling that any should perish, by the way, as we're going to see. And that's why he tells us the truth, that we would respond and not perish. Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. 
The good man out of the good treasure brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Another passage, Ezekiel, no, excuse me, not Ezekiel, we'll get to that in a minute. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. As Solomon writes this, he, he shares, he just, you know, tried everything. It's all vanity. It's all worthless. You could have all the, the, the fun and whatever it might be you could ever have, and it's worthless. You could have everything you ever wanted. He says in the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the conclusion, when all is said, he says here, all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. It's pretty serious. We know in Acts chapter 17, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to all men everywhere they should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through Christ. God tells you to repent because there's a judgment day and he doesn't want you to be judged for your sin. He wants you to be saved. There's a judgment day. There's a judgment day. And if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, by the way, Hebrews 10:26, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. And this judgment is associated with the day of the Lord. Look back in our Second Peter passage. Second Peter. This is all the same thought moving through, by the way. And look at verse 10 of Second Peter 3 again. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, it's not speaking of a day like a 24-hour day. The term day can be used to speak of a, a period of time that represents one thing. The day of the Lord, Yahweh's day. You see, man is having his day now. And you may not know Christ and you are having your day, but he will have his day. His day where he brings about judgment upon those who have rebelled against him. The day of the Lord will come. It's God's direct judgment upon the world. And it has to do with all these things that come to the point where he's going to remove the heavens and the earth and create a new heavens. All these things. The prophets speak of it. Turn to Isaiah 13:6. They speak of it. It's Yahweh's day. Now we know when the tribulation comes, after the church is removed, the first three and a half years seem pretty good, seem okay. But uh, once the man of lawlessness is revealed, 2 Thessalonians 3, we seem that, that appears to be when the day of the Lord begins, 2 Thessalonians 3. That's when all hell literally breaks loose and then God brings forth his judgment and then brings and makes everything right. You see, Yahweh's day has to do with him bringing forth judgment, but also then making everything right. Yahweh's day. Isaiah 13, 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. 
It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore all hands will fall limp and every man's heart will melt and they will be terrified. Pains and anguish will take hold of them and they will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look to one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. It's coming. The bad guys basically say, whether they say it outright or not, they try to divert you from the reality of that. But the day of the Lord is coming, cruel, with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. It's going to put an end to it. Turn to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 1. One of the minor prophets. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14. This is why we remember the the Bible songs our parents taught us, right? The books of the Bible. Zephaniah 1.14 Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it the warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry, and the fortified cities and all the high towers, high, high calmer towers, and I will bring distress on men so that they will, they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy. For he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. That's the, 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 the earth dwellers. We'll see this in Revelation on Wednesday nights. Those who have rejected Christ. The day of the Lord is going to come. Jesus speaks of it in the Olivet Discourse. He speaks of it in the book of Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, verse 24. For just as lightning, when it flashes out of, the, out, of, and out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. First he's going to die for our sins, right? And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It's, it, it was the same that happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed now just uh, on a side note righteous lot and noah were taken before the judgment we see that as the church is removed before god brings forth his day we are not destined for wrath but god is not going to let sin and evil go unjudged he is a god of justice we see this in first thessalonians chapter 5 
that uh, you yourselves know full well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they were saying peace and safety, everything's fine. It isn't. Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. First Thessalonians 5.2. And Bob read Second Thessalonians 2. God will pour out his wrath on sinners who have rejected his son, Jesus. God is declaring to all men everywhere that they should repent because he's fixed a day in which he's going to judge. There's a judgment day. And if you don't repent, you will be judged eternally. You will be destroyed and ruined in eternal fire forever. Jesus is a savior and friend, but he is also the one who will execute judgment on sinners. This great day has not come yet because God, as we will see, is patient, unwilling that any should perish wanting all to come to repentance. So repent. Turn to the Lord. Confess your sin. Call out to Jesus. Believe he died for your sins, paid the price, and rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, save me from your wrath. I deserve your wrath. Save me. False teachers forget the reality that the day of the Lord will come. They mock the reality that the day of the Lord will come. And thus we don't have a motivation in the church to live holy. You won't hear much preaching and teaching about the day of the Lord, the reality of what's going to come, what we should be focused on, what should motivate us towards holy behavior and righteous living. Notice back in our passage, 2 Peter chapter 3, we must not allow something to escape our notice. We're being commanded now. Look at verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Now again, when Peter is commanding, he'll often say, beloved. You're loved in the Lord. You're, you're, you're children of God. You're true believers. God loves you. Don't let this escape your notice. It's for your good. It's for your good. Do not let this one fact escape your notice that with the Lord one day is a thousand, as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. We are commanded to not let this... Now it says they are, and ASB says one fact. This one thing, this concept, what's spoken in both the verses 8 and 9. Don't let this escape your mind. Don't let it happen. It's a command. Don't let it happen. And notice what he says. He says here, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Don't let it escape your notice. Now notice, as we look at this, the words as, or some versions say like. He is not saying with the Lord one day equals a thousand years. He's saying it is as or like. It's it's a description. Again, we can use metaphors or whatever it might be to describe things. Uh, He ran like a gazelle. He's not a gazelle, but it helps us understand those things. One day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like... Or as one day. You see, God is revealing here that he is totally separate from time. He is the God who created the universe. And yes, he does enter into human time, which he created. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. He even functions in the context of the time that he has created, but he is not bound by it. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. There's time. And God is functioning within that time he has created, but he is apart from that time. 
And this is a pretty amazing statement. When you think of a thousand years, think of a long time. When you think of a day, think of a short time, right? What God is saying is what we consider short is like a long time, and what we consider long is like a short time. Usually we only take one half of this equation, right? It goes both ways. A day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. As a day. Moses wrote about this in Psalm 90. Turn to Psalm 90. See, God is not bound to our timetable. As some count slowness. He is not bound to what we consider as slow. Or what we consider as not coming forth or bringing forth his promises on time or our time, by the way. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, the man of God. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Thou dost turn man back into dust. They die, right? And thou dost say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. Thou hast swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the, in the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Towards the evening it fades and withers away. So what's the point? God does not function on our timetable, on the created realities that he has put forth. A day is as a thousand years, thousand years as, as a day. And let's keep reading. Notice this is the point, verse 9, back in chapter 3, verse Verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise. What's the promise? The promise of the coming of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, in the context, in judgment, the day of the Lord. He is not slow about his promise, as some count or reckon slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. What a tremendous statement. Tremendous statement. The Lord is not slow. The term slow means hesitant. He is not hesitating whether he is going to fulfill his word or not. As some count slowness or reckon slowness, God is a God of his word. He will fulfill his word. Absolutely. He is not slow. But we shouldn't let this pass our our, our understanding. But he says but patient in contrast, but patient toward you. God is patient. The term patient here means long-suffering. God puts up with sin for a long time. And if he came in judgment, he would have to destroy those who are still in their sin. But he is patient, unwilling for any to perish, to be eternally ruined. He is unwilling, unwilling not wishing. The term is an interesting term. It's bulamai. It speaks of determination or counsel or a wish or desire. He doesn't determine or desire that any should perish. You say, well, wait a second. I thought God chooses, doesn't he? Well, yes, he does. God does. We know that. But here we have a side of God which we cannot understand. He doesn't desire any to perish. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure. God does not take pleasure when someone has rejected Christ and dies and goes to their judgment and eternal destiny. He doesn't take pleasure in that. 
God does not desire any to perish. This is why it appears as though he is delaying. This is why from our view of time, which is not his view of time, it appears as though it, he's saying he's coming quickly. Why hasn't he come yet? He is coming quickly. But he does not desire that any should perish, but in contrast for all to come to repentance. If your gospel doesn't have repentance, it's not the gospel. Repent and believe the truth concerning Jesus Christ. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. You see, I don't understand how God can choose some and not. We know he does that. But we also know that his offer is to everyone. He is the Savior of all men. You heard what Bob read in 1 Timothy. Desires all to be saved. 1 Timothy 2. God is a gracious God. He is gracious and patient toward you and me. Ezekiel 18. Look at verse uh, verse 23. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather that he should turn from his ways and live? Look down at verse 31. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you've committed, and make for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why shall you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Turn from your sin, not in your own power. Acknowledge it. What I am doing, what I am thinking, what I have done, what I have thought is wrong. I can't get out of it. It's against you. It's sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will save you from your sins. He will save you from your sins. He wants all to come to repentance. Biblical repentance is a turning to God from sin. You can't get out of it, but you turn to God to be forgiven from it. You're acknowledging it. You're you're, you're being honest with God. I am a sinner. I cannot get out of this bondage. I'm a slave to sin. I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. And you turn to Jesus. Lord Jesus, save me. Set me free. He will save you. We know, as I shared in Acts chapter 17, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is declaring to all men that everywhere that all should repent, Acts 17, verse 30, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he's appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Luke chapter 24, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed throughout, he says, in his name, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. What is repentance? The word metanoia means a change of mind that's going to actually affect your behavior. I actually realize I am sinful and I need a Savior and I turn to him for salvation. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. What did Jesus call the people to do? Matthew 4.17 From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And then here's what he says, Saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Sin is your problem, friend. And God is not desiring you to go to hell. He takes no pleasure if you would acknowledge your sinfulness and honestly, no fake, no excuses, no nothing. 
admit what God says about you and turn to Christ. He'll save you. Believe in His Son Jesus, that He took your sins and His body on the cross. He died and rose from the dead. Folks, false teachers want you to live life without thinking of eternal consequences. They want you to live that way. And for believers, they don't want us to think of what we've been saved from and what we are going to because it motivates us to holy language. Or language, well, that too. Holy behavior and language. You see, Jesus came in glory, or came in, came in grace, but he will come again in glory and judgment, and then there will be no time to repent. This appointed man wants to die, and then the judgment. Will you repent before it's too late? Because the day of the Lord will come. It will come. Look in verse 10, back in 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come. We've already looked at this in depth. We kind of pulled it apart when we looked at verse 7. The day of the Lord, the day of his, Yahweh's day, the day of his judgment against sin and sinners. It's going to come. Like a thief. How does a thief come? He comes unannounced at a time you don't think, Right? Unannounced at a time you don't think. Like a thief. It's going to come. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. It's going to come unannounced when you don't expect it. We see this in Matthew 24. Therefore, be on the alert, knowing you do not know the day your Lord is coming. Be sure if the head of the house had known the day, the time of night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you too be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. First Thessalonians 5, while they are saying peace and safety, he's going to come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them. When Christ comes, he will fulfill his promise, reign on earth, but this first, this present heavens and earth are going to be destroyed. They're going to go away with a loud roar. The elements, the ABCs of creation will be loosened with intense heat. The molecules in this present creation, I believe, will be just brought apart. The earth and its works, end of ten, will be burned up. He's going to destroy the present heavens and this earth and unrepentant sinners will be eternally destroyed in hell. You see, hell is a reality. Matthew twenty-five forty-one, Jesus said, Depart from me, those in the left. Depart from me, you accursed ones, to eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew twenty-five forty-six, And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Mark 9.47, if your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. Better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes. This is a metaphor. Don't do that. It's talking about getting rid of sin. To be cast into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The reality is this present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Don't let this escape your notice. The only reason why this hasn't happened is God is patient and he is saving people. And we should be focused on the realities of his coming and what he's going to do. He's going to make everything right. We're going to see next time, we're not to focus primarily on the destruction. We're to focus on 
a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. We're going to see that. Brothers and sisters, we need a mindset on the things above, not the things of earth. I was convicted. I was convicted that, man, I am not thinking enough about what you've said. I am not remembering that we're only here because you are saving people, Lord Jesus. And when that's done, you're going to come. That's why we're here. This world is not our home. If you are comfortable here and you love it and like it, something's wrong. Confess. Because it is sin-tainted and will be destroyed. Let's turn to one last passage and let's close here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. While you're turning there, remember that uh, Abraham and Moses, they were focused on the heavenly things, a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly citizenship. We should be too. Don't be bogged down, brothers and sisters, in this life. Yes, we're here, but don't be focused on it to the exclusion of what God has declared. 2 Thessalonians chapter Excuse me, Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, that's what's going on in your life. Don't focus on it. Don't ignore it, but don't focus on it but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal. They're going to get burned up, by the way. But the things that are not seen are eternal. Are eternal. For we know that if this earthly tent, that's his body, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. We're going to see that next week. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house, that's these bodies, we groan to be clothed longing for our eternal dwelling in heaven. We long for God consummating the reality of what he had said. He is going to do. You see, when we find ourselves in his presence, it's not going to be as wretched, miserable sinners from a sin, in a sin-cursed world agonizing over our ragged state. It'll be glorious because we will be fully redeemed in his presence because of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And it is convicting that we so often do not think of and desire your son's coming to make things right. And Lord, help us not to let this one thing escape our notice. That you are patient. That you are saving people. You are unwilling for any to perish. But the day will come when you make things right, and oh, we look forward to it. Father, help us as believers to be motivated towards righteous, holy living in dependence on your Son. And Father, I pray for anyone who is not saved here that they would be convicted of what you have declared and that they would turn to your Son, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, help us as a body here to be eternally minded, setting our minds on the things above, not the things of earth. Convict us where we are failing, that we would set those things aside in our hearts and focus on the things of you and your son. Pray this in your son's precious name.